In Genesis chapter 25, we see the death of Abraham. Over the last two chapters that we've looked at, we've seen Abraham's life coming to an end. Um, both of the last two events that are recorded in Genesis here before this chapter that we're going to consider this evening show us that Abraham was living for the life to come. That he was trusting in God's promises even after he was going to be gone. In chapter 23, we saw two weeks ago Sarah dies. And uh, Abraham doesn't just bury her at, at any old uh, graveyard or anything. He buys a piece of property in the land of Canaan. And uh, so he wants to plant his flag down, to put his marker down in the sand to show that this is our land. This is what God has promised to us, to, to our family, our descendants. He wanted to show to his sons that, that God had this promise and that he believed in this promise. And so he buys this piece of land. In chapter 24, which we saw last week, he chooses a young lady from uh, his hometown, an uncorrupted young lady, uh, Rebecca, to be the wife of his son Isaac. He would not allow, allow Isaac to choose a Canaanite to marry. He would not allow Isaac to go and uh, to to find this wife in in Abraham's hometown, Nahor there, and... Uh, Instead, he sends his servant, and this shows us Abraham's unswerving commitment to God's promises that, that God is going to provide for this nation. God's going to make his descendants great. God's going to provide in this great land. And we'll see some more of uh, how God's promises continue after, after Abraham dies, chapter 25. So let me read uh, chapter 25, verses 1 through 18. Now Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore to him Zimran and Jokshan and Medan and Midian and Ishbak and Shua. Jokshan became the father of Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Asherim and Letushim and Leumin. The sons of Midian were Ephah and Epher and Hanak and Abida and Aldea. All these were the sons of Keturah. Now Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. Then his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, facing Mamre, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. It came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived by Beer Lahiroi. Now these are the records of the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maid, bore to Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names and in order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Keter, and Adbiel, and Mibsam, and Mishma, and Duma, and Mesa, and Hadad, and Tema, Jeter, Naphish, and Kedemah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their camps. Twelve princes according to their tribes. 
These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt. As one goes towards Assyria, he settled in, the, in defiance of all his relatives. The passage focuses primarily on Abraham and then on Abraham's firstborn son, Ishmael, but, but primarily on Abraham. And in this passage, we're going to see that God continues to fulfill His promises even after we die. God continues to fulfill His promises even after we die. Now, this section comes really out of order chronologically. We need to understand that before we move on. Let me show you why I know that. Notice verse 7. Hold was Isaac when his father died. Verse 7 says, These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. So how old would Isaac have been? Do some quick math. 75, right? Because Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 uh, when, when Isaac was born. So he was 75 years old when his father died. Now look down to verse 19. And this will be what we look at next week. Now these are the records of the generation of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. Okay, so, so what we see there is that his father died when he was 75, and then he gets married when he's 40, and actually he has a son. Notice down in verse 26, or two sons. And Isaac, at the end of the verse, says, and Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. So, so really, Abraham's grandsons, Jacob and Esau, were 15 years old when Abraham died. Now, this is placed out of order for a purpose. What happens here is, is Moses is closing the section in this book of Genesis on Abraham and his life. And this is the way to close it, to close it with his death. Turn back to chapter 11, verse 27, because we see where it begins. And what Moses has been doing in this uh, book is he's been using a specific uh, um, sequence of words to mark off a new section. Okay, He began with, now these are the generations of, of the heavens and the earth. And then he said, these are the generations of Adam. These are the generations of, of Adam's sons. These are the generations of Noah. These are the generations of Noah's son. And then he, gets, he, he comes here to the generations of, notice verse 27, now these are the records of the generations of Terah. And then Terah became the father of Abraham. So this is really how the section begins. It shows the genealogy or the, the generations of the, the lifespan of, of Terah, specifically his son Abraham. And this section goes from chapter 11, verse 27, all of the way until chapter 25, verse 11. Notice the next section in chapter 25, verse 12. Okay, Turn back to chapter 25. Verse 12, and we see the next section following Abraham's life. We see a short little blurb on Ishmael's life. Verse 12 says, Now these are the records of the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son. And then verse 19, so, so Ishmael's life is summed up here in these short verses and his death. And verse 19, Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac. And this will happen as we continue through the book. There's two more main characters that we'll be focused on. One is Esau. Now, these are the records of the generations of Esau. That will be a short section in chapter 32, I think it is. And then Jacob will come along chapter 36 and he'll say the same sort of thing. And what, 
What Moses is doing is putting down markers for us to see that there's now a new transition. So the reason that we have Abraham's death out of order is, uh, is to show that this, this is the end of this section in Genesis. So what kind of legacy did Abraham leave? What kind of legacy did he leave? We see his uh, children in verses 1-4. through four, We see more children that we didn't know about. Uh, this comes from his wife, Keturah. And uh, I won't bother reading those names again, but I'll let you do that uh, in your spare time. Abraham lived to 175 years old, and he has, uh, he has uh, six more sons through this concubine or through this other wife that he takes on. When Sarah died, Abraham was 137 years old. So he had 38 years left after Sarah died. And it appears from this, this narrative, verse 1, that he takes on another wife after Sarah dies. Look at verse 1. Now Abraham took on another wife. So it appears as if um, he takes on another wife after she died. In fact, the word took sounds like that it comes right after the, these last two events that took place. You have the death of Sarah in chapter 23, and then you have the bride being chosen for Isaac. Now, okay, verse 25, verse 1, now he takes on uh, a new wife, Keturah. And it names these six sons uh, in verse 2 that are not recorded for us. They're not said to be there when, uh, when Abraham died. So, so what's going on here? If Abraham took this wife after Sarah died, then we have a few things that we have to explain. First thing we would have to explain is why Paul said in Romans chapter 4, verse 19, that Abraham's body was as good as dead. And this was before Isaac uh, was conceived and Sarah. So, so why would Paul say that? Why would he say that Abraham's body was as good as dead? Then all of a sudden what happens is he, he's able to... Uh, to impregnate Sarah and, and Isaac comes along and then following that he's able to, to have more children through Keturah. Now if that were the case that his body were as good as dead then what would have to happen is God would have to and this is what some people think happens here is that God restored his youth from the time of Sarah's uh, conception through the end of his life. And that very well could be what happens but, but, and that's a possible explanation. But um, but but we would have to um, say that that would be have to be miraculous in some way, wouldn't it? For him to be able to bear children, or at least be a part of that, in well into his hundreds. Um, but I would argue that Keturah was actually not a wife that came after Sarah's death, but another wife while Sarah was alive. And the reason I say that is we won't turn here, but first, if you want to just mark this down, First Chronicles 132. Actually, if you just look in the margin of your Bible under verse 1 or verse 2, it'll take you there. First Chronicles, do you see that there in the margin of your Bible? First Chronicles 1, verse 32. You have to have your magnifying glass out maybe. but okay. First Chronicles 132 gives a, a little genealogy of Keturah, and there it's called, it calls Keturah, Abraham's wife here, his concubine. Okay, and here's kind of for me the clinching argument to say this was an additional wife that he had while Sarah was still alive. Because a man can't have a concubine without first having a wife. Uh, because a concubine, a concubine is an additional wife. She is a lesser wife. Now we don't fully understand how all this works because this isn't really part of our culture at all. 
Um, but, but what would happen is this lesser wife would be there for the purpose of procreation. And really, that's the only purpose for her. So she had a higher status than a slave okay, on the quality chart, but much lower than his preferred wife. So she would be what's called a concubine, a lesser wife. And if First Chronicles 132 calls her that, then that suggests to me that to be a lesser wife, there has to be a greater wife. Um, and what that tells us is that Abraham must have had this wife. This had to be after Ishmael was born because Ishmael was the firstborn son. It could have been before Isaac was born. There, was, there were 13 years in there where he was waiting for Isaac to be born and didn't know that Isaac was going to be the child of promise really until the last year right before. And then, uh, uh, or it could be even after Isaac was born. And this again speaks to Abraham's uh, fluctuating faith. Right? There are ups and downs there that he was not trusting God fully at all times. And I think that's what, what, uh, why these, these men are listed. I think the other purpose of this Moses mentioning these family groups. We we don't really think about these names too much, although I hope you noticed a couple of the names in there, like the uh, the fourth-born son there, Midian. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Okay, there there is a whole group of people throughout the the time of of the people of Israel known as the Midianites. So what Moses is doing here is he's saying, listen, not only did did Abraham was he the father of Ishmael, the, the Arabic people, and also Isaac, the Israelite people? But he's also the father of all these other nations. Let me show you who they are. You know the Midianite people way over there, over to the east, um, and they they were um, they have Abraham as their ancestor as well. And so this would be, I think, very important for the readers, the the people of Israel, to help understand where some of these people groups are coming from. And uh, and so this is uh, this is what's going on. So verse five, kind of now that we're through his his other wife Keturah here. Verse five says, "Now Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines." Okay, notice there again, his concubines. He didn't have just one, not just Hagar, but also Keturah, um, the lesser wife. He gave gifts while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. The reason we see Abraham's faith here in this passage is because he trusts that God's purposes continue on even after he dies. And so his inheritance is going specifically to whom? Verse 5. To Isaac. Okay. He, what, he's, what he's doing with these other sons whom he loves. You remember how hard it was for him to send away Ishmael? Both times it was difficult for him to send them away. And, and, and so what he's doing here, he gives gifts to them while they're alive, but that's all he can do. He doesn't give them the full portion of the inheritance like Isaac receives, even though Isaac is not the firstborn and very well could have been the lastborn of all eight of his sons. Um, these verses are important to help remind us about Abraham's belief in God's promises that through his descendants, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed, but specifically through one child, through the one child, through Isaac, the child of promise. And that's who would receive the entire estate. Chapters uh, 25, verses 7 through 11, we see his death and burial. Um, this is the uh, 
the, the second fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, the first fulfillment that Abraham was able to see in his lifetime was that Isaac was going to be born. He got to see God follow through on that promise. The second one was uh, God had promised that he would live to a ripe old age, chapter 15, verse 15. And so we see here that he, in fact, does. 175 years, not a normal amount of time to live during this during these days. Verse 8 says, He breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life. Same sorts of words that are used for God's servant Job. Old man and satisfied with his days or full of days. I want you to draw your attention to is this last phrase because it's a little bit unclear as to what this means. Verse 8, And he was gathered to his people. Now, this doesn't mean that he was Buried, because remember, Abraham's people, where, where would Abraham's family or ancestors be buried? Not in Canaan. Not in Machpelah, right? They'd be back up in, in his long, long uh, maybe his grandfather, things like that, back in Ur of the Chaldeans, and then his more near relatives like Terah were probably around Haran up there in the north. Uh, so this is not talking about his burial, that he's being gathered to his father's grave or his ancestors' graves. And, and uh, it doesn't mean heaven either. Because look at chapter 25, verse... Um, see, I think it's in verse 17. Verse 17. Notice what phrase is used of Ishmael when he dies. At the end of the verse it says, He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. So I don't think this is talking about heaven because there's no indication that Ishmael believed. In fact, that seems to be the contrast. The older son, you would expect to be the inheritor of, of the promises, but he actually becomes the son that's not. not the, the not chosen one. And Isaac is the one. So we have this contrast between Ishmael, the older, the not chosen one, and Isaac the chosen one. And we see this again with Esau and Jacob. You have the older one, Esau, not chosen, and you see a short blurb on him, and then you have this longer section on the chosen one, Jacob. And so I would suggest that Ishmael was not a believer, and so to be gathered to your, your fathers or to be gathered to his people does not mean that he is gathered to heaven, although I believe that's where obviously Abraham did go according to Hebrews chapter 11. It seems to be referring to the place of the dead. That is just where dead people exist or where they go. Second Kings 22.20 says, I will gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. So what it's talking about there seems to be synonymous uh, parallelism that I will gather you to your fathers, you will be taken to the grave in peace. So those things are, are equivalent. So I think that's what's uh, being talked about here that Abraham is going to the grave as well as Ishmael will in, in verse 17. So he's buried in verses 9 through 11. Isaac and Ishmael come and bury him. It's hard to know um, if Isaac and Ishmael were on good terms or even uh, able to see each other at all. Maybe this was the first time that they had seen each other since Ishmael was sent away 75 years ago or, or 72 years ago. Remember um, at when Isaac was weaned and Abraham had a feast for him, why was Ishmael sent away? Because Sarah was infuriated at him because he was mocking her son. And, and so God said, you know what, Abraham, it's okay. Send him away. I'll take care of him. He will still receive 
Uh, lots of blessing. That is, he will have great amount of descendants. And in fact, we see here uh, when we get to, to Ishmael, verses 12 to 18, that he has 12 sons. And uh, and so God does take care of him. And then in uh, verse verse uh, 9, we see that he's buried in the same place that Sarah is in the cave of Machpelah, the one that he had purchased from the Hittite, uh, Ephron the Hittite, and he's buried there with Sarah as we saw in chapter 23. Notice verse 11 because it kind of wraps up the life of Abraham by showing how God continues to fulfill His promises even after He dies. Verse 11, it came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed His son Isaac. No more earthly blessing for Abraham. His life is now over. But God continues His work. He continues His promises through now His son Isaac. And this will be a lasting um, uh, progress of God's blessing that will go on for generations. And that really is the theme of the next uh, ten chapters. It focuses on Isaac and his offspring and, and how God blesses them. And it goes all the way till chapter 35 when the focus is turned to really Joseph and um, uh, Jacob and Joseph. So Abraham believed God prom- God's promises. He wavered at times. He's like every believer of all time. He he wavers. He has times where he has he has lapses in faith, and we can. We can uh, we can understand that, can't we? We can understand that, that there we're not always perfect. There are often times where we stray, and where we don't trust God, where we don't see what's up ahead. But but the great thing about Abraham is that the, his life as a whole was marked by trust in God, and, and the pinnacle of that is seen certainly in his willingness to offer his son Isaac, his only son, after his, Ishmael had been estranged and so on. Um, his willingness to do so even at the risk of, of, of losing him. And so we can uh, attribute great, um, a great amount of, of weight to Abraham's life and his love for God. Now let's look at Ishmael's legacy, which really um, probably the better contrast would be Ishmael and Isaac since they're brothers, but, but kind of the way that the passage is laid out, we're, we're just going to focus on Ishmael tonight, verses 12 through 18. And then we'll move on to Isaac and his sons that are born next week. Ishmael's sons are listed there for us in verses 12 to 16. Um, this is included to show that God's older child or Abraham's older child was not chosen by God. Okay, here's what it's like to be not to not be chosen by God, and uh, and this will be similar, similar to Esau. Excuse me, in chapter 36, verse one. But even though Ishmael wasn't chosen, God still said to Abraham, listen, I still have promises for your son Ishmael. Because he is your son, he will receive numerous descendants. Do you remember when God talked to Hagar when she first ran away and and uh, and she's out there in the desert and, and on her way back to Egypt and she cries out and says, you know, where are you, God? How, how could you possibly be here? And God says, listen, I am here and, and I haven't forgot about you. And and I'm actually going to give blessing to your sons, or to your son, and and there will be many blessings. That's chapter 16, verse 10. He tells the same thing to Abraham. Don't fear, Abraham. I'm going to take care of your son. Chapter 17, verse 20. And so, like his nephew Ishmael, like his nephew Jacob, Ishmael would have 12 sons. And and this is uh, this is. Uh, 
the list of them there in verses 12 to 16. Then we have his death in verse 17. He lived 137 years, even lived longer than his mother lived, 10 years longer. And we see his heritage in verse 18. What was Ishmael's legacy? Abraham's, I believe, was a good one. He believed in God's promises. Notice Ishmael's legacy. Verse 18, they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt, as one goes toward Assyria. He settled in defiance of all his relatives. Unlike Abraham, who left a good legacy because of his faith in God, Ishmael left a disastrous legacy that we still see even today. It says at the end of the verse that he lived in, he settled in defiance of all of his relatives. Now, some translations take this as, instead of in defiance of, they take it as in uh, to the east of, because the words in Hebrew are very similar, in defiance of and to the east of are very similar in the Hebrew language. So they take, they kind of change the wording to say, okay, actually he lived east of them. That's what the text is saying. But I think the Nazbe's translation seems to be correct. And the reason I say that is because of chapter 16, verse 2. Turn there with me. Chapter 16, verse 2. I'm sorry, 16, verse 12. This is the angel of the Lord that I was just talking about. Um, she's, the angel of the Lord, he said to her, verse 10, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. That's what I was referring to, that even though he wasn't God's chosen one, he would still receive blessing from God uh, because of Abraham, his father. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child and you will bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. And then notice verse 12, He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. Okay, so... So here you can actually see where the, the translators can, can pull that lives to the east of his brothers. But the first part of the verse talks about him being in defiance of them. And the reason I think that this, this is the, the, the correct translation, that it, he's living in defiance of them, is because this seems to show the contrast between Ishmael and, and Isaac. Okay, we're going to see Isaac, that he actually does believe the promise he sticks around in the land. He, he trusts God's promises and passes it on to at least one of the sons who's willing to accept it. And, uh, and that seems to be the point. So, so what we have here are really two different legacies, two different heritages. You have Abraham who trusts God and you have Ishmael who, who does not trust God and who lives in defiance of all of his relatives. He doesn't believe the promises. That's why he... He was one of the reasons he was excluded from them. Uh, obviously, he wasn't chosen. But, but what we're talking about is passing on God's desire and His purposes to the following generations. We've been talking a lot about that as we've gone through Genesis. And I think Abraham is a great example of this. That Abraham left a, a lasting legacy. What kind of legacy will you leave when you die? How will people remember you? Now, when I talk about legacy, I'm not referring to making a name for yourself and make sure everybody reveres you even after you die. That's not the idea. Abraham, in fact, didn't do that. He didn't make much of himself. He made much of God. And that was evidenced in his faith-filled action. And so in this passage, 
chapter 25, we see that God's promises continue even after we die. So, so we need to be thinking about what we're going to do to continue God's program on to future generations. How is it going to be passed on? You may be thinking, well, I'm too young for that. This is way too early to be thinking about passing on uh, God's truth to future generations. But I would suggest to you that you're never too young to do that. And for for one, you don't know how much longer you're going to live. Okay, you, you don't. You are not guaranteed to live 80 years or more. So so you're never too young to pass on God's promises. How how are you going to make sure that the the younger generations are being able to accept and and understand God's truth and be able to pass it on as well. And uh, so the first reason is you don't know how long you're going to live. Secondly, if you've received the truth, then God has made you a steward of the truth, a manager of it, and and how you use it. You don't wait until okay. I'm going to wait till I get to the time of my retirement. Now that I'm there at my retirement, now I can think about starting to pass it on to the next generation. You see the problem with that? That that we, no matter how young you are, need to be thinking about what am I doing to to understand the truth for myself and then helping others to do the same. What am I doing? You're never too young to do that. It's never too early. You may not be thinking that you're too young to pass on the truth, but you may be thinking the exact opposite, that you're too old. Now, it's kind of too late in life for me to be thinking about that. But I would suggest to you that as long as you have breath, God has given you an opportunity. He's given you a trust that, that you are currently holding in your lap. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to be like the, the steward... That, that received the minas and he dug, one mina I think it was, and he dug it in the sand. He said, listen, I, did, I, I, didn't want, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't lost, so I didn't do anything with it. I just dug it in the sand. What did the, manager say, or what did the master say to him when he came back? Shame on you. I could have put it in the bank and got more than you. I could have earned interest. The problem is, is that, that, that what you did was you... You you didn't use what I gave to you. You didn't you didn't uh, make it grow. That's what my word does. It grows and spreads. And so so as an older person, is that how you want to be remembered? Is that how you want God to evaluate your life at the end? That you know I had the truth right here, but it's getting too old to kind of pass it down anymore. I mean, think about Abraham. What was the pinnacle of his faith? I mean, obviously he had great steps of faith in the beginning. He, he, he believed God when he was brought out of Ur of the Chaldeans and he went to a place that God hadn't told him. I mean, that's amazing faith. But, but what was the pinnacle of his faith? Remember how old he was when this happened? He was no young buck. He was 115 years old, roughly. We don't know how old Isaac was when he was offered there on Mount Moriah, but... But around 115, between 115 to 125, I said when we went through that passage. Now, so, so that means that God can still use us no matter how old we are. 
Now, I hope you're not waiting until you're 115 to do this. What I'm suggesting to you is, is God uses you. He can use you now if you're willing. He's entrusted truth to you. What are you going to do with it? Have you seen God work in your life? I mean, do you believe that He is real and that His program is what is best? If so, then what are you doing to make sure that program, those purposes, those desires are being passed on to the next generation and those to follow? I'm not talking about teaching a Sunday school class. Okay, Although that's important. I don't want to exclude that. from That's definitely important in passing on the truth to the next generation. But what I'm talking about primarily is is living as an example of godliness for younger people to see you and and to to see that's what a godly person looks like. If you're if you're an older man, that's what a godly man looks like. That's how a godly man lives his later years. Okay, if you're an older lady, that's how an a godly woman lives. That's what it ought to look like when when a, a believer gets to that age. That means that that we need to finish strong, not giving up, not slowing down. That means we need to encourage our children and those of you who have grandchildren, grandchildren, to follow God more fervently, that there's nothing in life more important than God and His program. And if you don't see that, then let me help you to see it. I'm talking about you helping to encourage not just your own personal family, but but the people in this church. That's how the church is designed. God designed the church to have older people so that the older people, older men would be teaching younger men, older women would be teaching younger women. In example and in word, they're actually saying, listen, you know, the way that you're handling you know, this situation that's come up in your life, that's not really a God-honoring way to live. You know, I, I was struggling with the same thing you are. Let me show you from the Scriptures how you ought to do this. Let me encourage you. Let me help pray for you. Let me, let me, let me uh, keep you accountable and I'll ask you how you're doing next week. Okay, what, what our church needs okay, is, is godly young people, but it also needs godly older people to live as an example of, of those who pursue after Christ. I'll tell you, that's how your legacy will continue after you die. In a sense, your voice will not be silenced even when you're in the grave. And it's not for the sake of you. okay? It's for the sake of God and His program. Think even after you die. You know, that person, they really, they really lived a godly... They really meant it. They loved God. They finished strong similar to how Abraham's voice is still speaking to us today. Okay, not in a creepy way when we, when we enter a dark room or something, but by telling us, follow God with all that you have. You won't regret it. Even when there's suffering, even when there's trials, even when you don't know what's ahead. Follow God. He will never lead you astray. Trust in Him. And you can do that as a young person even now, by, by thinking about passing that on, even now, and you can do that as an older person or anywhere in between. Are you going to be a man or a woman of faith whose voice speaks even after you are gone? Let's bow together for prayer.
Father, we thank You for the example of Abraham who was a part of fallen creation who had uh, much sin. Moses highlighted several of those instances where he lapsed in faith. And we can, we can, uh, we can understand that. We, we know what it's like to walk through the Christian life. We, we certainly um, may not have had to go through trials as deep as Abraham, but we understand um, that he was a man ultimately of faith. That he was a man who trusted you and your promises, even when it didn't make sense. Sometimes he he didn't, but most of the time he did. And we're thankful for his shining example that speaks to us even long after he is he has been gone. And Lord, we don't want to take our responsibility of propagating truth, of of uh, continuing truth on through future generations. We don't want to take that lightly. We want to take it seriously. We want to honor You with our lives now. And we want to honor You with our lives as we get older and even as we die. That we would be men and women of faith that are more concerned, uh, are not just concerned with our own lives, but also concerned with the lives of others and how Your truth will grip their hearts as well. And that requires of us a great step of faith, great action, uh, a great amount of, of understanding on our part with regard to Your truth. It requires prayer to, to see opportunities, to have our eyes open so that we can see those opportunities and then take them. We need Your help in, in uh, passing on the truth to future generations. And we pray that we would not drop the ball. We pray that we would not uh, be unfaithful to You but that You would uh, use the trials in our lives to strengthen our faith as we have sung tonight. That You would uh, make the trials change us and, and make us more like Your Son whom we love. We pray in His name. Amen.